put on your blue silk and brush your hair well before he comes. You are so pretty, Susie, quite like myself as a girl, but so quiet and shy that nobody notices you. You may borrow my rouge as your face is a little pale, but do not tell Papa. It is not necessary to bother him with these little sophistries. Dear me, Amy Bennett at the right hand of God, doesn't bear thinking of. Susie escaped to the privacy of her room, and Mrs. Burke, finding that Susie had gone, wrenched her mind back to the everyday world and went in search of her husband. Dr. Joseph Burke was sitting in his study, drinking a large glass of Wincarnis tonic wine and studying a sheaf of patients' bills. He was a thick-set man with grizzled hair and a majestic sable beard, of which he was inordinately proud. He had the reputation among his patients of being a very wise man, since he hardly ever said anything original, confining his remarks to clichés and platitudes. His patients, in the main, came from the overworked and underpaid classes, and therefore were never in any mental condition to appreciate a witty doctor. He was a good man, in his way, and although snobbery was his ruling passion, he successfully managed to keep it to himself most of the time. He and his wife were tolerably comfortable together. They had never been in love with each other, or anyone else for that matter, and therefore had nothing to be disappointed about. He looked amiably enough at his wife, as he would have looked at a favourite piece of furniture, comfortably familiar, slightly worn, yet promising a good few years more service. I'm worried about Susie, said Mrs. Burke, pacing up and down the room, so that her husband might admire her still slim figure. At each turn, she kicked out her taffeta skirts, which were edged with a deep border of fox fur. She's still a child, admittedly, but she should already be thinking along the lines of an advantageous marriage. Quite so, Mrs. Burke, agreed her husband. Marriages are not made in heaven. Just as well, commented his wife irreverently. I cannot help but feel that the Son of God was a teensy bit radical. Take not the name of the Lord thy God in vain, said Dr. Burke, taking another swig at his wincarnis. Mrs. Burke gave him a mutinous look. She had long imagined her own entry into heaven as a sort of presentation at court, and that wretched Mr. Pontifax had gone and spoiled it all. I shall sound out young Bryant this evening, said Dr. Burke ponderously. I feel he is not indifferent to our Susie. Perhaps she would fare better if we arranged a marriage for her. She has no mind of her own. She is... Here he made a tremendous mental effort. Lying fallow, so to speak. And it is up to us to plant a seed therein. Exactly, agreed Mrs. Burke, struck anew by her husband's wisdom. Upstairs, the subject of their discussion sat at her dressing table, with her elbows propped on the glass top, and stared at herself dreamily in the looking glass. Oh, you shouldn't say such things, Mr. Bryant, said Susie coyly, flirting with her reflection. Then she heaved a sigh. It's no good she thought. He'll always be horrible little Basil to me. 
Her reflection stared back at her in sad agreement. A serious girl with long nutmeg-brown hair and enormous golden-brown eyes in a heart-shaped face. Her dress was of a pretty and becoming shade of pink, but it was rather short, reaching only to her ankles, and had no waistline but a high yoke embellished with babyish frills. It was a suitable dress for a twelve-year-old girl going to a party, but for a seventeen-year-old miss it was decidedly unfortunate. Her hair was confined in two bunches tied with pink ribbons. The blue silk she was to wear that evening in honour of Basil was designed on similar lines. The man she really would like to marry, thought Susie dreamily, would be very kind to animals. He would have a square, honest, homely face, and he would smoke a pipe under the old elm.